you could see that this is a, clearly an intelligence operation uh, run with navigating between the private and the public uh, sector in relations to Israel and being domestically unleashed uh, in the United States against uh, PDS activists. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. This is the Electronic Intifada podcast. I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman, and this is the Electronic Intifada podcast. I'm here with my co-host Asa Winstanley. Asa, how are you? I'm good. Uh, Good afternoon or good morning in Berkeley, California. And uh, it's been... Um, you know, a pretty uh, boring week for you, I, I imagine. <laughs> Not much has been going on in your world, Isa. Why don't you give us an update on um, what's been happening or not happening? Yeah, well, um, thanks to a blurb by the Jewish Chronicle, a newspaper in the UK, I received 1,200 extra followers on Twitter. So that was nice of them. Um, they called me prominent on Twitter. So <laughs> <laughs> Probably not in the context that they were hoping. <laughs> so that was nice of them. Tell us what happened. What happened in, in, this, in, in the last uh, couple of weeks? Uh, yeah, uh, well, we've written an article about it. Um, and uh, the Labour Party has initiated a disciplinary action against me. For several of my tweets, which are critical of Israel and of Zionism, the Israeli state's official ideology. Um, So, I mean, being investigated by the Labour Party um, uh, for my opinions as a journalist, essentially. Uh, I'm a member of the Labour Party. Um, I joined in 2016 when there was a coup attempt against Jeremy Corbyn. And I've been reporting on the Labour Party for the last four years, really, um, because since um, since Jeremy Corbyn was running for the first time as Labour Party leader. So last week, a bunch of trolls on Twitter kind of got outraged by the fact that I was a Labour Party member. Um, not entirely sure why... They only just noticed Right, it, it wasn't like a secret that you were a Labour Party member. No, I mean, I've tweeted about it before. I'm not particularly right. vocal about being a member, but I have tweeted about it. And they got all outraged. I mean, this is just how the witch hunt has been going, really, yeah. for the last three years. It's just on and on to the next manufactured outrage after another. So, you know, I was the next one. So what seems to have happened is the Jewish Chronicle, which is a very right-wing an anti-Palestinian newspaper under its editor, Stephen Pollard. Um, hasn't always been that way, incidentally. But, I mean, that's quite important to understand uh, um, for listeners not in the UK. For example, the, the Jewish Daily Forward in the States, I mean, for all the terribleness that it has, it's kind of is at least an ostensibly liberal newspaper. Right. Um, is is that a fair fair assessment? I or? think so. Yeah. I mean, they have some really right wing, um, uh, com- you know, opinion writers. But then they have people like Rebecca Pierce, for example, who is a contributor yeah. to the Electronic Intifada and 
Yeah. And, no you know, way in hell would someone like Rebecca right. Pierce be exactly. published in the right. Jewish Chronicle of today. Or I mean, yeah. their, their writer Josh Nathan Kazas, who's done some extraordinary He's a very good reporting yeah. on on like the way that that Jewish communal organizations in the in the states have funded um, some of the worst Islamophobic um, anti-Palestinian hate groups, uh, or, you know, and and work directly with with uh, the Israeli government. So yeah, right, so, so the, the forward the, has like a lot of things going, and then and then it has some really right wing um, bents. And the opinion editor Batia Ungar Sargon, of course, was one of the instigators against the the yeah. Uh, she's a terrible person. Yeah, against uh, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar a few weeks ago. So yeah, that's the forward. But the but Jewish current uh, Jewish Chronicle go on. Uh, yeah, so uh, one of their reporters tweeted um, Thursday night, so a week ago from when we're recording. New, it is understood that Asa Stanley is suspended from the Labour Party pending investigation. Now, I actually still haven't commented on whether it's true or not um, that I'm suspended from the Labour Party. Um, and I'm still not going to comment on that. Um, but um, as our colleague Ali reported in his article about this, the Labour Party has initiated disciplinary procedure against me. Um and it is for some of my tweets, which are critical of Israel and Zionism. Um, now, the fact that I learned about this, first from Rosa Doherty's tweet, the Jewish Chronicle journalist, shows that the Labour Party, or someone in the Labour Party staff, is sending this information first about uh, disciplinary procedures um, to journalists have, before they've been telling the people concerned so i mean this 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 is not right. only about me right this is i mean in covering this for the last three or four years this has been an endemic this has been habitually what's happened so it's this is an example of what i mean by a manufactured anti-semitism crisis the jewish chronicle um decided that to make me one of the latest, one of its political targets, and then started, along with, you know, other, with people on the right within the Labour Party, essentially lobbying uh, the Labour Party, saying, look, we've discovered this person's a member of the Labour Party and they're a terrible anti-Semite, what are you going to do about it? So then the Labour Party has to find some pretext um, to take some sort of action against me and then tells... Um, the press, sometimes it's Jewish Chronicle, sometimes it's the Sunday Times. Um, it's been other papers, you know, in the past um, about it. And then the latest terrible example of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party is splurged across headlines. And then people on the left in the Labour Party, on the in the in the pro-Palestinian movement in the Labour Party. Get out, get upset and outraged about it for a while. You know, often there's fundraisers for legal support. Um, you know, and then things kind of die down again until the next controversy. So this is designed never to be resolved. It's designed to be a, a sort of perpetual motion machine of outrage, like manufacturing fabricated anti-Semitism for infinity. That's <laughs> that's what it's for. Right. So right. it was and kind of really inevitable to, that I would become part yeah. of this story, really, by reporting right. on it. Yeah. Um, and, and it's meant to, to, to wear people down, um, to, to make them just so 
tired of fighting these baseless um, and and ridiculous charges that they just say, okay, fine, I'm not going to talk at all yeah. about Palestinian rights anymore. And I'm just going to put my head down and, and keep doing the work, either, either as a Labour Party member or as an MP, and you've got me. Kind yeah, of thing. and it has an um, effect. It works because you can yeah. see what yeah. um, how Jeremy Corbyn has changed his positions. So yeah. when I interviewed him almost four years ago in, um, we'll say three and a half years ago, I suppose, in the uh, summer of 2015 when he was running for Labour Party leader for the first time, we got him to, you know, I got him to say that he was in favour of BDS. You know, I mean, of course he would be. Um, He sort of had some reservations about certain forms of um, uh, academic boycott, although he endorsed aspects of academic boycott too. And he's now, you know, retreated essentially from that. And he's even retreated from BDS in general, saying he doesn't participate in the BDS movement, only settle, only boycott of products from settlements. You know, so these things have an effect. Um, and to pretend otherwise is completely ridiculous and ludicrous. So, I mean, it's quite illuminating with what's going on in America with Ilhan Omar. Um, and it's an exact repeat. Like, it's 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 literally play for play. It's exactly the same. So, you know, my advice for comrades on the American left is do not back down in the slightest. Don't give even the remotest concessions to any of this. Because the moment you do, you see what happens with people uh, backing down. Like uh, with, with the examples that I've just given with Jeremy Corbyn, because you will feed this for years. It will go on for years. It's designed to never end. That's right. Well, Asa, are you going to be stopping uh, reporting on <laughs> yep, Palestinian that, It's rights, over now. <laughs> totally over. They yeah, won. I, re- I regret to inform <laughs> the uh, losers and the haters that, um, you know, normal service will be carrying on as always. <laughs> Amazing. Um, well, we'll, of course, be uh, tracking what's happening to you um, during this insane manufactured uh, crisis and these but these uh, really serious and, and dangerous attacks against you. Obviously, keep us posted on that. Um, yeah, but we are going to uh, in, in a couple minutes, we're going to be going to an interview that we did with uh, Professor Hatim Bazian uh, of UC Berkeley here in the Bay Area, um, who was the subject of attacks by, um, by, by groups very close to the Israeli government um, that have intended to spy on, threaten, and intimidate Palestine rights supporters and supporters of the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions, or BDS campaign, especially on U.S. campuses, um, and to get them to shut up and to stop organizing. Um, so just in the past week, we published uh, a really wonderful feature by Kristen Davis-Bailey, um, who has been a longtime um, member of uh, various different Palestine solidarity organizations. He's one of the founders of Black for Palestine. Um, he was very active in Students for Justice in Palestine when he was a student. Um and he was reporting on revelations um, that came out uh, from the New Yorkers reporting on a group called Psy Group, 
Um, and this uh, organization was was basically set up by previous Mossad agents um, who who were kind of tasked with um, organizing these these very um, shadowy online uh, threats against um, Palestine rights supporters in the U.S., especially students and professors. And, and Hatem Bazian was one of the targets of Psy Group. And yeah. I wanted to read a little bit from Christian's piece on this. Um, he said that Psy Group, which reportedly ceased operations in 2018 following an FBI investigation into possible 2016 U.S. election interference reported on previously by the Electronic Intifada, used shadowy and coercive methods to attempt to undermine the Palestine Solidarity Movement in the U.S. Psy Group raised at least $1.2 million to conduct dark web surveillance, in-person intimidation, online blacklists, and smear campaigns against Palestine, Palestinian rights activists. According to The New Yorker, Psy Group asked private donors for an additional $1.3 million in funding for in 2017 for something called Project Butterfly and told potential donors that a successful campaign would, quote, make it look as though Israel and the Jewish American community had nothing to do with the effort. The overall goal, according to a company document, was to destabilize and disrupt anti-Israel movements from within. Some donors asked the group to target students who supported BDS campaigns on campuses where their children studied. Project Butterfly concentrated its efforts on up to 10 college campuses, including the University of California, Berkeley. So, Asa, how does how does Psy Group, how does this um, these like shadowy, you know, web surveillance operations um, managed and, and funded by groups very close to, to the Israeli government um, kind of fit within the, this, you know, the context of what, what's been happening to you and, and other reporters or anti-Zionist activists in, in the UK uh, and around the US? How, how do we see um, the, the effects uh, that Psy Group has had on Palestine uh, rights activism? Well, in a nutshell, what happened with this front organization is what I consider it, Psy Group, is that Israel's been engaging in a campaign of psychological warfare against U.S. citizens in the U.S. I mean, that's a line that's taken from a line anyway, or my sort of summary of a line within uh, Kristen Davis Bailey's article, which is really excellent. And I, I, if he's listening to this, will you please write for us more? Um, Agreed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's it in a nutshell. And, and there's no doubt... To, my mind there's very similar things are happening in the uk um, yeah. and probably other countries with strong palestine solidarity movements um yeah. it's uh, listen i mean the the fact that side group is shut down now it doesn't really mean much except that it was exposed i mean the, the israeli government right. has always acted in this way it's always acted through front organizations and it's always acted through intermediaries it's always got um wealthy supporters of zionism uh, from around the world to fund its operations i mean for uh, just one example is if, if you read seymour hirsch's book about um the israeli nuclear arsenal the samson auction which i highly recommend in general um yeah he talks about how um funding for it was the, to, to start it up was uh raised in in the u.s you know from rich supporters of israel in the US, 
you know, and this was for because because you know there was some controversy with on this program even within the Israeli cabinet, so it was kind of done off the books, and so like for the, this is what the Israeli government is doing, and it's quite striking to me from this article how um, they're working together with the uh, Foundation for Defense of Democracies, which is essentially right. an unregistered agent of the government of Israel who are working uh, in the U.S., probably in violation of U.S. law, but they're just being allowed to get away with it. Um, and so, like, it was really illuminating to have our um, discussion with Hatem, and um, I actually learned a fair amount from it. Yeah, um, and uh, we'll go to that in one minute. Uh, again, check out Kristen Davis Bailey's article on the Electronic Intifada. It's called Ex-Mossad Agents Harass U.S. Students, BDS Activists. That was published March 9th. Look for that. And we'll also link to that article um, on the podcast blog post that accompanies this podcast. Uh, and uh, let's go to the interview with Hatem. Joining us on the Electronic Intifada podcast today is UC Berkeley lecturer Hatem Bazian. He's also the chair of American Muslims for Palestine. Hatem, so good to have you back on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you, Nora and Asa from uh, UK. So hopefully we'll make that connection work. So we're speaking about this, um, these new revelations that have come out uh, about the private Israeli intelligence firm Psy Group, which actually... Uh, I believe, closed its doors last year. Um, but recently, Adam Entus, the reporter for The New Yorker, um, who co-wrote a longer article on Psy Group with Ronan Farrow a few weeks ago, um, he wrote about uh, Psy Group's uh, specific involvement with um, spying on and intimidating Palestine rights activists in the U.S., for years, we've been following how the Israeli government and its operatives and Israel lobby groups have been spying on and threatening activists, uh, specifically those who support the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement around the world, um, and especially those who are on college campuses, either as students or, or members of faculty. Um, the article begins with how in 2017, you went outside your house and found that the windshields on all the cars on the block were plastered with posters that accused you of supporting terrorism. And actually, our, our former colleague, uh, Charlotte Silver, wrote about this when it happened in May 2017. Um, the New Yorker article adds that, uh, quote, although it is unclear who left the flyers, internal documents from a private Israeli intelligence firm called Psy Group show that at the time of the incident, the company and possibly other private investigators were targeting Hatem Bazian because of his leadership role in promoting the BDS movement. Hatem, can you talk about what happened and what you know about Psy Group as these revelations have come to light? Uh, again, going back to the actual incident, uh, uh, on 2017, the whole block was covered, all of the windshields on the cars of my neighbors, my house, uh, uh, up and down were covered. I'm, I usually go in the morning to take my daughter to school. And I thought initially it was some type of uh, an advertisement for a movie or maybe a, a sale for half price pizza or something. But I didn't expect that it would be my image and uh, also an image of uh, Rebecca from uh, Jewish Voice for Peace and being uh, just opposed with one another saying that it's uh, 
these are terrorists or supporting terrorism. At the same time, they actually dumped a whole bunch of flyers also on one of the city parking lots um, of Shattuck, uh, right, uh, Shattuck and University. So similarly, the whole windshields in that area were covered, I guess, uh, maybe to try to say that it's not targeted, but it's random because look at this parking lot uh, that was covered with these uh, flyers. Uh, simultaneously, uh, a week earlier or on the same time period, the campus was covered with posters uh, that had uh, my image, uh, Judith Butler and few other third all over the campus in the early morning hours. So as we come in the uh, campus in different entrances, you have these posters that basically again calling us terrorists, supporters of Hamas and uh, targeting SJP. Uh, so that was in uh, UC Berkeley, but also a similar uh, posters were at San Francisco State University targeting Rabab Abdel Hadi, uh, UCLA with uh, 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 Robin Kelly. So what we see is this was a coordinated campaign that was being uh, unleashed on those individuals that uh, are uh, at least either engaged in PDS or outspoken on the Palestine issue. Again, I have been part of uh, the work on Palestine for the longest period. Uh, I did find establish SJP uh, at UC Berkeley back in 1992-93. So I can understand you know, the pushback or uh, the contestation with various Zionist groups, whether it's uh, Hillel or Zionist Organization for America, but this seems to be uh, a different uh, dimension of the work and raises again the issue of this uh, uh, private intelligence. And I put private intelligence group between uh, quotation mark, uh, because as the evidence clearly comes out, that the side group uh, is an ex Mossad agents that have set up a private uh, group uh, to do targeted intelligence with the uh, ease of access to the internet and all the new modes of communication and really navigating the line between privacy and intrusion uh, as well as intimidation. Uh, I think they set up the private group in order to bypass U.S. law, which yeah. prohibits uh, uh, foreign intelligence organizations to operate in the United States, and therefore they have to operate under a, a private company or a front. Now, this is not unique to intelligence services. For anyone that followed U.S. intelligence services, again, uh, I know uh, have hosted Philip Agee, John Stockwell, and a host of other CIA uh, ex-agents that have exposed CIA operations in Latin America and the Middle East were often a front company uh, will be used. Uh, and therefore, if the agent is caught or the, um, uh, the campaign or the operation goes airwire, the, the country can say that we had nothing to do with it. So it's plausible deniability. So it's actually very clearly that the Psy Group uh, is a, an outfit that was set up with uh, possibly clear communication and directives uh, coming from the Israeli Ministry of Strategic Affairs in order to escalate and to target what they call is hard uh, committed uh, advocates of PDS. And from the document that came out in the New Yorker, 
uh, it seems that they targeted uh, possibly nine, uh, five to nine canvases, uh, 15 to 20 individuals with a whole strategic uh, uh, layout of what needs to be undertaken. And I think if you read the seven-page document that uh, was released, you could see that this is a, clearly an intelligence operation uh, run with navigating between the private and the public uh, sector in relations to Israel and being domestically unleashed uh, in the United States against uh, PDS activists. Can you talk about the toll that this took on you personally, this this particular campaign of the flyers targeting you at home? Well, I, again, I think anyone, including myself, uh, coming out of your home and finding your uh, neighborhood plasters with your face and image uh, on your cars and your neighbors. And again, immediately, as soon as I saw it, I actually I did not want my daughter to see it, uh, to be uh, scared, fearful. So I actually took the flyers from my car, put it on the side, drove her to school and came back and actually took as many of the flyers from my neighbor's car without being uh, so obvious that I'm actually taking from their cars what is this person is doing. So that's definitely uh, is a major concern that now you're not only worried about advocacy of Palestine. I can understand and deal with the politics on campus in a rally or a lecture. It's part of the landscape. Uh, people, uh, what you call standing up, holding sign. That's just the landscape of the political engagement with your wife, your kids uh, that are being targeted. Uh, my wife was uh, very, very concerned. And uh, literally, we called in immediately and we uh, installed a security system, a camera system in the house on uh, the next day in order to actually just make sure that uh, the safety and security of the family is uh, taken care of. Now, adding to another dimension, uh, which I think is part of this uh, impact uh, psychologically as well as socially, that it does create this cloud around you on campus and with your uh, colleagues and the university in particular. Uh, and it's my critique of the university has always been that it has a very close relationship and coordination with the pro-Israel uh, forces on campus and off campus. Uh, we came to know this uh, during the uh, actual PDS vote uh, that the uh, Berkeley Student Council took. What we found out uh, is that the university chancellor and the dean of students were coordinating their statement on public relations position uh, with the Israeli consulate uh, and were on a first, time, first ba uh, name basis with the ADL calling and trying to coordinate. Wow. Saying, <clears throat> so uh, we know that this this relations was very close. So in here, a university chancellor coordinating uh, their statements, their action with a foreign government uh, to to target or derail or alter the democratic process that are being undertaken uh, on campus relative to the PDS. Yeah, that's pretty. Um... It's pretty staggering, but um, I would say typical. Us, yeah, exactly. I mean, for those of us who look at Absolutely. these things, uh, you know, closely or professionally as we do, um, it is unsurprising, and it happens here too uh, in the UK. 
Um, I I think it's you mentioned the ADL as well, the Anti Defamation League, and it's worth uh, mentioning that um, the ADL for many years ran a massive spying on right. behalf in in the United States. But I have beh- primary research on that. Yeah, on be- on behalf of the Israeli government and on behalf of the South African apartheid regime as well um, for many years, and you know this all came as you know this all came out. Um, in the late eighties, early nineties, uh, but it's kind of almost forgotten about now, um, and I, I think that's that's an example of what you were talking about earlier of um, this kind of uh, trend of privatized intelligence, I suppose. Um, and we'd like to talk about about that a bit more. But I I, I think first first of all, could you maybe talk about why do you think uh, my question to you is. Why do you think you in particular were targeted? I mean, you've mentioned your involvement, you know, in establishing Students for Justice in Palestine, you know, many, many years ago. And obviously you're, you're a well-known um, academic and activist, you know, Palestinian um, in the US. Um, but why do you think you as the direct, do you think your role as the director of American Muslims for Palestine specifically was a specific target here? Uh, I think there are a number of issues that coalesced uh, together. Uh, One, I think the success of the PDS movement on college campuses, uh, and specifically the success of the SJP uh, as a leading advocate for Palestine, uh, has brought my role and my engagement uh, to the forefront. Uh, Just to, as a matter of on the record, uh, that I did help uh, create the strategy for how to engage on college campuses relative to SJP and the PDS movement. Uh, This came as a result of my involvement in the South Africa anti-apartheid movement. I was on the national committee uh, for uh, campus organizing at the time as the chair of the National Students of Color Coalition, and Mm -hmm. we targeted Coca-Cola on college campuses during the anti-apartheid movement. And as the anti-apartheid movement came to a successful conclusion, began to think of how to bring that strategy into Palestine. And this came at this critical moment where uh, the Gulf War resulted in the diminishment or the stop of of Palestinians and Arab coming to the U.S. to study because of lack of resources. For those who don't know, uh, many Palestinians or Palestinian families who worked in Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, and the Gulf were expelled or of the Gulf War which ended up limiting the amount of resources that Palestinian students who want to study abroad had access to. And all of a sudden, after the first Gulf War, 1992-93, you did not have any new Palestinian students coming to campuses, and that also impacted our organizing. So that's where the idea of SJP is to open the broad base coalition in the same way for the South African uh, model of organizing. So that success on college campuses is one factor. The second is also strategically Israel have shifted uh, some of its language post 9-11 to use Islamophobia mm. as, the, as the mechanism to try to defame and to tarnish uh, the status and the position of pro-Palestine work and try to label anyone that engages in Palestine work to being uh, in individuals that are supporting Islamic terrorism. And you yeah. could see that in the initial uh, uh, launch report that uh, recommended language 
usage for pro-Israel spokespeople and Israeli spokespeople to mirror... And, and that was the 2009 report by the Israel Project? Is that is that right? It's actually much earlier. Uh, the There was a launch uh, strategy, but it came out, the Israel Project came out with a full report in 2009. So they actually, right. as soon as 9-11 took place, by 2001, 2000. Uh, two, there was actually a document of public relations of actually what to say on TV, what to say on radio. That uh, and there you you get that uh, the language of saying that uh, the United States have Osama bin Laden, we have Yasser Arafat, we have Hamas, Hamanistan, and mm. Afghanistan. So that language was deployed, and as such, uh, using myself as a target, where I am very active on the SJP front, I'm as active on the AMP front, so that creates a convenient target in there. The third element, which I think possibly not to speak in here, that I don't pigeonhole myself on Palestine. I, again, I've been active in a variety of struggles, uh, organized on the South African front, Latin American front, which got me again in being a target of the ADL way back, organized mm -hmm. for American with Disabilities Act, um, walked twice to Sacramento from San Francisco, a 92-mile march for uh, public education, uh, supported uh, the United Farm Workers, uh, organized against the war, uh, whether it's uh, in the war in uh, Afghanistan, Iraq. Uh, so my engagement is actually very wide, and also led the statewide uh, campaign against the uh, end of affirmative action, uh, which also got me entangled with the ADL on those issues. So the fact that I work in an intersectionality and work broader coalition that is goes beyond the Palestinian Muslim landscape provide for me provide for them a target that needs to be isolated so it does not bleed into what they consider to be the mainstream. Which again, yeah. it's a, it's an area that I, I contend with. Uh, at a certain point, the ADL actually and JCRC locally put a five-page hit piece on me to the, to the Democratic Central Committee of San Francisco and Bay Area to say how horrible I am. So again, this fits into this broader strategy of pushing Muslim, Palestinians, pro-Palestinian activists from civil society so you would not have an impact and engagement uh, to counter the narrative that is taking place. And I think today, as we see uh, the attack on Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, I think it fits the specific strategy. And I actually uh, say that both uh, Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib are subject to the same side group strategy, uh, using all types of mechanism in order to target them. And I would advise them and anyone that is working in that space to actually look at where the funding is coming from, what type of intelligence operations being run at them at this point in order to push them out of uh, civil society and the impact on civil society as we discussing uh, the specificity of the side group in relation to my case. We're speaking with uh, Hatim Bazian, a lecturer at UC Berkeley, longtime activist. Um, Hatsum, can you talk a little bit about um, how these kinds of spying operations and, and campaigns of intimidation and threats coming from the highest levels of the Israeli government um, uh, have, have had, the impact that, that, that this has had, not just on professors and members of faculty, but students who you advise who are coming to you, you know, as, as undergraduates, um, 
really uh, worried, frightened about these kinds of intimidation tactics. Um, what does what what does the landscape look like right now for for young activists um, who are being targeted by you know the Ministry of Strategic Affairs and Gilad Erdan, for example, in the Israeli government, um, but also these firms like Psy Group or uh, the Foundation for Defense of Democracies or the ZOA or APAC. Um, what 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 can you tell us about how it's impacting students? Uh, in thinking of the landscape, I think. Uh, students who are engaged in Palestine uh, work on college campuses are being targeted through many layers. So on the campus, they might confront Hilal, maybe the Zionist Organization of America, maybe Tikva, and then uh, Stand With Us or the Israel Coalition on campus. But then behind that, and we see from the side group this coordination that is taking place, uh, you have the Canary Mission, you have the national uh, and local ADL, you have the APAC, and then you have the uh, Ministry of Strategic Affairs. Uh, what insidious on all of this is the culpability of the university administration in facilitating these uh, targeted campaigns against students. And, uh, and we speak of a number of students that have been actually brought in by the university uh, that uh, on this case, whether it's UC Berkeley in terms of the hearings, uh, in terms of students, uh, San Francisco State, UCLA, uh, Rutgers, Univer Rutgers University, uh, UC Davis. So these students become caught in the one hand of a massive intelligence operation, and on the other, the university administrative uh, arm uh, is being used against the students. And now the student is being confronted. Uh, should I continue to work uh, for uh, or in the cause of Palestine, or should I begin to worry one about my safety, security, my well-being, and my possible future career? So in this sense, there is an impact that is being felt uh, by students uh, across uh, various campuses, and the university is aiding and abetting in this process. The university administration, and I again put a heavy responsibility on university administration, they're acting as if they're a front desk in the state department managing a peace process where the signal is gotten to them from Netanyahu rather than actually acting as a university administration should be uh, uh, neutral, defending and protecting free speech, academic freedom, and not allowing the operatives of a foreign government uh, to actually run the policy on campus. Yeah. I know for a fact uh, that in particular San Francisco State uh, student regulations, uh, I would not be uh, uh, exaggerating if, say, if I say that 70 to 80 percent of the regulations that got into the student regulations handbook uh, have actually direct outcome or result of complaints about Palestinian organizing or pro-Palestine organizing or GUP, the General Union of Palestine Students on campus. So in here, the university, just like the peace process, actually takes the lead of what Netanyahu and Likud and the, and the Israeli leadership wants, and the U.S. government puts it as a policy uh, on the negotiating table. The university administration takes what the uh, uh, Zionist Organization of America, ADL, and the, and the rest of them, and actually take it as a marching order. And now the students become the ones that are disrupting, quote, the peace. 
so this whole uh, uh, campaign on college campuses today about um, uh, looking at what constitutes uh, safety, security, and uh, well-being is completely tilted toward the needs and uh, the complaints of the pro-Israel uh, community, specifically around the political issue rather than anything else. And I think what we see, this is uh, being done at the university level, and that's where the university is part is responsible and acting and to uh, aid and abet uh, the process. I'll give you a direct example. This first article from New Yorker came out on February 18th. Uh, the second article, <clears throat> the second article came out on February 28th. Uh, today we are in uh, March 5th. Till today, I have not had, not received a phone call, an email, a note, a chocolate, even maybe a disc percent at the local burrito from the chancellor or the university offices. Even <laughs> though I sent an email, I sent an, I sent an email to the um, uh, chief counsel of the university. Uh, he says, if you have a secure, if you have an immediate security issue, I'm out of town. Please go to the police. Mm -hmm. right? uh, mm -hmm. Have not yet had any uh, anything official from the university. This is at a time where it's a it's a front page uh, coverage of an of a foreign intelligence operation run through the campus, affecting a faculty, nine yeah. to ten other students, and complete utter silence uh, mm -hmm. with a spending of 2.5 million. Similarly, I have communicated with my uh, district uh, council member, uh, Sophie Hahn, uh, which at the time that actually the attack took place, I called her office, I called the police, and uh, initially they, she called back, but then dropped off uh, the, uh, uh, what you call, Planet Berkeley. And <laughs> when I asked for uh, uh, her, whether she followed up, Silence, nothing whatsoever. I, uh, I communicated with the state legislature, uh, uh, Buffy Wicks from my area, Skinner, also the state senator, and so far is silence. Which again, if you know the topography and the landscape, my sense they have already received some type of letters on to actually uh, stay under the radar of it and not to actually rock the boat on such a matter because it affects their deep relations and right. uh, commitment. So I'll wait and see. Uh, the police department says this is a matter of free speech. What's interesting in the article from New Yorker, it says that the FBI were aware of it and that it was shut down as a result of the FBI, which raises many huh. questions. Uh, yeah, did it does. This, did the per Berkeley police have any communication with the FBI? Did they recognize that this was an intelligence operation? Uh, if this was recognized as an intelligence operation and knowing that the city of Berkeley police engages in training with the Israeli uh, secret or Israeli police or security services in Urban Shield, was that was the Urban Shield a bridge where some of these individuals that were acting either a direct line intelligence officer or uh, being a funnel to the intelligence operations there uh, that this was a bridge that was built now recently we were we managed to end the urban shield from the alameda county but this is what you call the whole network of uh, israel being the security special contractor that is sought for to train and provide the uh, network of training for our local police whether berkeley or also on college campuses. So these are the critical questions that we need to follow up. Yeah. Uh, to see uh, 
uh, what is taking place at the university level, but also at the city, state, and na nationally as well. I think you you raised some really interesting points there. Um, that's really interesting, especially about the FBI. I didn't pick up on that part. Um, and it, it does really raise some highly alarming questions. Um, I think, I mean, listening to what you described there about the nature of the campaign against you, I couldn't help but think, like, you can only imagine the uh, reaction in the national press and the international press if a Jewish academic at an American campus was targeted by the uh, spy agencies of a foreign government, like, say, I don't know, Iran or something like that. Not that I think that's likely to happen at all, but just for the sake of argument, say that happened. I mean, <laughs> I can't even imagine the response right. that would happen on campus. Uh, and the, the reaction to what's happened to you is completely shameful, really. And it, it, we really need to start facing up to... I mean, a lot of people really need uh, kind of have their heads in this in the sand about this i think well i i think in here there are two issues that possibly one is uh jewish activists that are in alliance or speak on palestine are targeted themselves yeah so but we don't see the university seeing that as a form of anti-semitism exactly uh, so you get into individuals uh yeah. again i often bring speakers uh uh, Jewish uh, speakers to the campus to speak and relate to the Palestine cause. And the university actually often uh, does not speak about attacks directed at them as being a form of anti-Semitism. If anything, it allows a discourse that these are self-hating Jews and they don't speak yeah. for right. Jews. So there's that. Yeah, and their very, their very status as Jews is, is delegitimized. And this is exactly the same phenomenon we see in the UK, especially what's happening in the Labour Party at the moment. People, yeah, Jews, sure. Jews who are anti-Zionist or non-Zionist, have have their very um, status as Jewish people questioned sure. by Zionist groups uh, in the in the UK, and quite often by non-Jewish Zionists in the yeah. Labour sure. Party. Sure, they, they, they go through an erasure. That's that your yeah. your Jewishness yeah. becomes that you are a, you you enter into what you call a metaphorical non-space. That you lose your Jewishness. That you are not. A Jewish person, uh, as long because you have actually challenged the basic parameters of Zionism as the definition of Judaism. So that takes place at the university, and the university does not actually come to their defense, like actually in terms of how they uh, would possibly come to our defense. So when the Zionist comes and begins to complain about it, their their status is affirmed as the legitimate. Uh, parameter and definition of what Judaism, particular, or what a Jewish person should or shouldn't be. So again, I think in here the university, I say, is both acting in anti-Semitic way because it's allowing the Zionists to define the parameters of Jewishness and not Jewishness, and also they affirm Islamophobic discourse by trying constantly to actually to demonize and build upon the uh, demonization and the punishment of uh, Muslims, Palestinians, Arabs in that way. The, they would like to have Muslims, but they'd like to have the silent one. Uh, yeah. So in essence, the university celebrates or at least try to express uh, sentiments against Islamophobia, but it's a public relation <clears throat> statement uh, that actually constantly almost uh, allow the demonization 
to take place on a regular basis. And that's what you the reality that you're facing. It's just like Nancy Pelosi taking a photo op on the cover of Rolling Stone with Ilhan Omar, right? Like, <laughs> as she's throwing her under the bus and accusing her of anti-Semitism and, and promulgating these incredibly racist, Islamophobic Well, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. They would like her, her to be a person... Right. You know, they would like her to have a per- to be only with the hijab because it provides them what you call a celebratory diversity. Right. Look, we have it's a prop, uh, have, right? Yeah, we have a hijabi in here, and we have an African American on this side that's come, and we have a Latina in there, so we covered the mix. But now we're going to send the FBI on you that speaks to you in Arabic, <laughs> right. and we're mm. going to relate to translators and intelligence operations without actually according the right. So this is, again, the game of what you call the parameter of diversity that is being played. The Democratic Party has been apt at it. And it's interesting uh, because if you look at the uh, funding of such operations, both what we consider to be Democratic funders, Haim Saban, and Sheldon Adelson, uh, the Mm -hmm. right-wing funder, both came together in uh, in a meeting that was held in Las Vegas in order to create this hard edge uh, uh, campaigns on college campuses. So in essence, this understanding that uh, the Democratic Party or the Republican Party are representing a wide spectrum when it comes to uh, the issue of Palestine and treatment of the Palestinians and how they aid and abet in Israel uh, uh, policies, both domestically in the U.S. and abroad, uh, it actually falls by the wayside. And I think what we need is to understand uh, this landscape. You talked a bit earlier about um, one of the reasons that you were targeted was because of your work across issues and your analysis of intersectionality and so forth. Um, and it um, the, that reminds me very much of the um, the Rayut Institute, the Israeli think tank closely linked to the State of Israel uh, and endorsed by the Ministry of Strategic Affairs, as many of us reports. And we obtained we at the uh, at the Electronic Intifada we obtained one of their internal reports um, in 2017, and that one of the main points in that reports was about the challenge of intersectionality, and about um, they were lamenting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it's very difficult to be a settler colonial project that is defines itself as a European settler colonial project and uh, distinctly so. And you have also the whole notion of racial hierarchy in Israel, not only relative to the Palestinians or the African migrants, but within Israel itself, the whole hierarchy of race that exists relative to uh, the Yemeni Jews, where we have the case right now about the uh, children that have many families, which exactly with the Native American in uh, boarding schools that took place in here in the in the United States. It's very difficult yeah. for you to say that you want to work in intersectionality where <laughs> you have actually never seen a war that you did not support from the Western world, whether it's in Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, uh, the war right now in Latin America, in El Salvador, Nicaragua. I actually have, again, the long documents of Israel engagement, which interestingly, even at the time, was an engagement with the Saudis as well. If you remember, when the U.S. Congress prohibited funding for uh, the Latin American campaign, George Bush Sr. went to the Saudis to fund this campaign, and Saudis gave a check that went into the operation, and the operation uh, hired Israeli Mossad to do the training uh, for uh, much of the Latin American death squads and low-intensity warfare, whether it's in El Salvador, Nicaragua, 
or Guatemala. So the record is very clear in here. Now, it, the intersectionality becomes very difficult uh, to try to assert an intersectionality where you not only you are engaged domestically with right now, increasingly a right wing that is fascist in the United States, uh, you're engaging with the right wing in Europe. Uh, I just recently wrote an article that the Israelis are embracing every fascist politician under the under the uh, under the sun right now, not only in the U.S. but Brazil, uh, Gerd Wilder, which is yeah. interesting, was funded by the San Francisco Jewish Federation. The San Francisco Jewish Federation funding, providing funding for Gerd Wilder, who's a his party is a neo-Nazi party. His own party members walked into the Dutch Parliament wearing Nazi Nazi ansania. So you can't get more uh, fascist than this embracing. Uh, uh, the uh, 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 Marie Le Pen in uh, France. Uh, her father is a convicted neo-Nazi that the French government had actually put him in jail. This sick puppy has the uh, interest of collecting Nazi memorabilia. And he, yes. his daughter is welcomed with an open arm in Israel and celebrated as the way for defending Western civilization, which will be, as Gandhi said, when I asked him about Western civilization, this will be a good idea. Uh, so again, if this is the defenders of Western civilization or uh, Farage in the UK as well, so it seems that who's who in the fascistic rising tide of fascism in Europe, United States and Latin America, they mm. have a red carpet in Israel, which raises the question, how can you engage in intersectionality, which seems that the only, uh, the only intersectionality except is different shades of fascist parties in Europe and Latin America. So they have a very, very tall order to make that argument. You might be able to get it at least on a smaller level to say we're concerned about safety or possibly the different types of food that we're gonna offer on campus, but that does not cut it at this point where the issues are all on the table and it's for Israel it's been uh, almost have uh, put its own political uh, chips on the side of rising uh, right wing domestically in the US and across many parts of the world. And I did not even go into India, where the, the intimate relationship with Moody, uh, who likewise sees the relationship with Israel as a strategic one uh, in his uh, building of the PGP party in India and then the positing of Hindu ultranationalism as well. So it's very, very difficult uh, for them to challenge or to enter into the space of intersectionality with that type of... Uh, Politics. I often say to them, uh, the success of the PDS movement and the success of our work is essentially because we have a very good, uh, what you call, advertisement uh, billboard. It's called Netanyahu and the right-wing Israeli political elite. So you actually need to check your own internal politics before you actually come and complain about what is taking place on the other side. And for that, they have no other, no answer to it. Well, I think that's a really good place uh, to leave it. Uh, Hatem Bazian, you are a lecturer at UC Berkeley, a longtime activist, supporter of Palestinian rights, obviously, um, and uh, and activist with the Boycott, Divestment and, Camp and Sanctions campaign. You're also a chair of the American Muslims for Palestine. Uh, Hatem, thank you so much for all of your work and for being with us again on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Yeah, thanks Thank you, Nora. Thank you, Esa. I'm a constant reader and also constantly share your posts on Twitter and Facebook and so on. So keep up the good work. Thank Great. you. You too. 
Well, Asa, that was a, a fantastic interview with Hatem Bazian. I'm really glad that we had him on to talk about um, kind of the history of surveillance by Israel-linked organizations um, uh, against uh, Palestine rights activists here in the U.S. Yeah, and I still feel like we only got to the tip of the iceberg, really. Um, there's so much more to talk about. It's, I mean, it's such a humongously under-reported issue. I mean, just... Yeah. The, like, uh, basically, it's Russiagate, but true. Like, e- everything <laughs> right. that, like, People... Rachel Maddow's <laughs> fever dreams imagines that Russia is doing. <laughs> okay, maybe not everything, but a large degree of everything. <laughs> pretty much, um, yeah. It, although it's, Russia's it's not pretty, doing it, remarkable. Israel actually is. So. Right. <laughs> Right, and 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 curiously, she is very silent on. I don't think she's mentioned Israel, you know, except to maybe sing its praises. Um, in yeah. the last few years, certainly not to investigate, you know, that the inf- the actual political influence that that Israel and the, you know and and its uh, operatives are having on U.S. Yeah. lawmakers. Um, oh, it's remarkable. Um, Anyway, uh, all the links to all the stories we mentioned are up on the Electronic Intifada uh, on the podcast blog post that accompanies this broadcast. Um, And Asa, thanks again for yet another wonderful episode of the Electronic Intifada podcast. Great. That's it for the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thanks to Sharif Zakut, our music maker and production assistant. For news, information, cultural features and reviews and pointed opinion and analysis, visit us online at electronicintifada.net, where you can also post comments and sign up for our daily email digest. Follow us on Twitter at Intifada. Radio stations are free to use this podcast. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, support the Electronic Intifada by rating it and leaving a review. On behalf of all of us at the Electronic Intifada, thank you for listening. <laughs>